The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 141 A Righteous King Israel was running out of time to repent. The eastern tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, plus the northern tribe of Naphtali, were already captive in Assyria. The remaining tribes, new king, Hoshea, failed to lead the Israelites into righteousness and was a puppet king to the Assyrians. In Judah, however, there was hope. Ahaz's wicked reign had come to an end. After 16 years of reaping the fruits of bad leadership, Judah yearned for a righteous king. The Jews had almost forgotten what it was like to be blessed by God. The days of abundant harvest were a distant memory. Under Ahaz, the fruit of the land had often been collected by the king to pay off the Assyrian tribute. The Jews no longer enjoyed the fruits of their labor. Once Ahaz died, Judah was ready for a change. That change would be led by Hezekiah. At age 25, Hezekiah had barely reached manhood when he began to rule. Although he was relatively young, his dynamic leadership provided the stimulus Judah needed to repent of its evil ways. Upon taking office, King Hezekiah moved quickly to rectify the abominable state of affairs in Judah. The nation had fully embraced Ahaz's pagan religion, setting up idols all over the countryside. All the priests and Levites had either left their profession or succumbed to Ahaz's pagan system. King Hezekiah understood that the process of turning Judah around needed to start with him and the priesthood. Thus, in the first year of his reign, in the month of Abib, Hezekiah marched into the temple enclosure with a team of Levites ready to work. Tear those boards off the doors, the king commanded, pointing toward the entrance of the temple. Ahaz had the entrance boarded up to stop any true priest from entering the temple. Mighty creaks and groans sounded as the doors were opened for the first time in a decade. The hinges were rusted and the wood weathered so the king arranged for the doors to be refurbished. With the temple doors open, Hezekiah beckoned for the leaders of the priests and Levites to join him in the courtyard across from the entrance to the temple. Listen to me, priests and Levites of the Most High God of Israel, the king pleaded. It is time to restore the proper worship of God in his holy temple. Cleanse yourselves from the sins of your fathers so that you may cleanse the temple. In ancient Israel, only Levites were allowed to enter the actual temple building. Only they could clean it and restore it to its rightful beauty. Our fathers and my father Ahaz devastated the true religion of Israel, continued the king, his voice reverberating through the stony courtyard. They forsook God and turned their backs on this glorious temple. 
They didn't offer any of the commanded sacrifices, nor did they keep the holy days. And look what happened to them. Many lost their lives in battle, and others were taken to Syria as captives. The time has come to change course. I desire with all my heart to make a fresh covenant with God to obey Him, that His anger might be turned away from us. But I cannot do this alone. I need you. Hezekiah looked earnestly into the eyes of the priests and Levites before him and pleaded, My sons, be not now negligent, for the Eternal has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, to minister to him. Hearing Hezekiah's impassioned plea, the inspired Levites agreed and left the temple to go and collect their sons. The work of cleaning the temple would take a huge effort and require many people. The sons of the Levites, many of them having never fulfilled their roles in the temple, were quickly taught how to purify themselves to be ready for the temple duty. Hezekiah didn't want to waste any time with the cleaning effort because the Passover service was only two weeks away. Later that same day, the first day of the first month, the men appeared back at the temple with brooms and mops, shovels and pruners. Those who had carpentry skills brought their tools. So too did the artificers of brass, iron, and gold. A decade of neglect meant that much of the temple was dilapidated and in need of repair. Quickly, the Levites scattered throughout the temple courtyard, repairing the gates, removing fully grown trees and bushes, sweeping and polishing the stones. The pagan altar Ahaz had set up was quickly destroyed and removed, delighting those assigned to the task. The true altar of sacrifice was built back up in its rightful place in front of the temple porch. Finally, after eight days of hard labor cleaning the outside of the temple, it was time to go inside. A select few priestly families were chosen to do the work inside the temple. For many who walked under the porch and into the holy place, it was their first time seeing inside the magnificent building. While the structure was dusty, dirty, and missing many of the temple vessels, its grandeur was still evident. After a few moments of drinking in the sight, the men went to work, taking inventory of how many bowls, plates, utensils, and incense censers needed to be created to replace the ones that Ahaz had destroyed. The rest of the team began cleaning and polishing the interior of the temple. The diligent work inside took another eight days. While they wanted to get the temple cleansed before Passover, God had planned within his law for a second Passover a month later for those who, for particular reasons, were unable to participate in the first. Since it took extra time to cleanse the temple, the keeping of the Passover was delayed until the second month. While the priests and Levites were cleaning the temple, Hezekiah was preparing for the initial sacrifices needed to atone for the sins of Judah. He knew that if God were to bless the nation after so many years of rebellion, many offerings would have to be made. After 16 days of work, the Levitical priests approached the king to let him know the job was completed. The next morning, Hezekiah commanded the elders of the city to meet him at the temple. 
These were many of the same elders who had gone along with Ahaz's pagan rule without much protest. In an effort to atone for their sins, as well as the sins of the entire nation of Judah, the priests prepared rams, goats, bullocks, and lambs upon the altar of sacrifice. Through all these bloody sacrifices, God wanted to impress on their minds that there is a high price for rebellion against him. Those sacrifices pointed to the future death of Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed to pay for the sins of all mankind. Hezekiah also arranged for music to accompany the sacrifices in the manner that King David had laid out nearly 300 years earlier. Before the offering started, singers, harpists, cymbal players, and trumpeters stood by in sections awaiting King Hezekiah's direction. When the king gave the order, the burnt offerings began, and simultaneously the courtyard was filled with the sounds of this large ensemble, skillfully playing pieces composed during the time of King David. The symphony continued for a long while until the last sacrifice was completely consumed upon the altar. Following the final offering, King Hezekiah led the congregation in bowing down before the temple and worshiping the great God of Israel. The angelic voices of the Levitical priesthood, accompanied by the instruments, began singing songs of praise to God with a joyous heart. The very same songs recorded by King David and his chief musician Asaph. After many songs of praise, the musical euphoria ended when King Hezekiah rose to his feet and stood upon a large podium. Hardly able to contain himself for the joy he was experiencing, the king declared with a loud voice, Now that you have consecrated yourself to God, he will accept your free will offerings. Immediately, a loud cheer went up from the people inside the temple courtyard. Others who were outside the temple precinct and unable to hear Hezekiah erupted into a simultaneous cheer of their own. They knew it was time to offer their own sacrifices to God. The sins of the nation had been atoned for. God would be with them once again. One by one, the Jews lined up and brought in their own animals to offer to God. The presiding priests, who had the job of slaughtering and offering the animals, quickly realized there were far more animals than anticipated. They had not expected so many people to offer sacrifices, seeing the need the Levites stepped forward to help with the free will offerings. Before long, 600 oxen and 3,000 sheep had been offered upon the altar, all bought voluntarily by the inhabitants of Judah. Witnessing the powerful scene, King Hezekiah was overwhelmed with emotion. He was overjoyed to see so many in his nation exhibit such a change of heart from their rebellion against God. Watching the crowd of joyous people giving to God once again in the temple, years after it had been closed and abandoned, gave him a profound sense of satisfaction. He knew that God had motivated these people to come. For all the joy that Hezekiah experienced that day at the temple, there was still something missing. Only the tribes of Judah, Levi, and Benjamin were in attendance. The northern kingdom of Israel, though it had never had a righteous king, was still God's chosen nation. Now that Hezekiah had restored proper temple worship, 
God led him to reach out to the northern kingdom. Many of the Israelites had already gone into captivity to the Assyrian Empire years earlier under Tiglath-Pileser. Maybe those who remained would take God's warning seriously now. After convening a meeting with the princes of Judah, King Hezekiah decided to invite all who would come from the remaining northern tribes to the Passover service in Jerusalem. The first Passover had not been observed because the temple was not yet ready, but the second Passover was less than a month away. Although Hezekiah knew it was unlikely that the majority of the people would listen to him, he thought it was still worth a try. Coming out of the meeting, Hezekiah issued a royal decree, declaring that from Beersheba in the south of Judah to Dan in the very north of Israel, all were invited to keep the Passover in Jerusalem in less than a month. Along with the proclamation, the king wrote a special letter to the remainder of the tribes in the northern kingdom, pleading with them to return to the God of their fathers. You children of Israel, the letter began, Turn back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to you, you of the remnant that has escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. Don't be like your fathers and your brothers who trespassed against God and have gone into captivity. Don't be hard-headed. Instead, yield yourselves to God. Enter into his temple and serve the Lord your God, and his anger won't come upon you. The Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and he will not hide his face from you if you turn back to him. King Hezekiah placed his royal seal on the document and dispatched his finest riders. The messengers carried his message to Ephraim, Manasseh, Zebulun, Asher, Issachar, all the tribes that had not already gone into captivity. A couple of days later, one of the riders reached the outskirts of the hill country of Ephraim. As the messenger entered the town, the first resident who spotted him eyed him suspiciously. What are you doing here? The Ephraimite asked. I have come with a special message from King Hezekiah of Judah. The messenger responded. Where is the leader of this town? He's inside the great hall at the top of the hill. But he is not in a good mood, the Ephraimite said. Today is the day he has to give most of his money over to King Hoshea to pay the Assyrians. The rider jumped back onto his horse and rode to the top of the hill. Entering the great hall, he interrupted a disagreement between the elders about how much money each of them owed. In unison, the Ephraimite leaders turned to look at the intruder. Without invitation, the Judean messenger boldly declared, I have a message from Hezekiah, king of Judah. Bring it here, the chief said. Ripping open the seal, the Ephraimite elder stared down at the open letter. After a while, he began to chuckle softly at first, then louder and louder still, until his companions couldn't take the suspense any longer. What does it say? What does it say? They begged. Hezekiah, the young upstart who has barely sat on the throne for a month, is asking us to come and celebrate the Passover with him. The gathering quickly forgot their monetary troubles and let out a roar of laughter. Us? Celebrate the Passover? We haven't done that for 300 years. Still laughing, the chieftain continued. <laughs> he also says that God will forgive us if we turn to him. 
forgive us. The only people that need forgiveness are those naive Jews falling after such silly nonsense. The ridicule against both his king and his god told the messenger all he needed to know. He turned and left the hall. The sound of the laughter following him, he strode back to his horse, surprised that not one person in the room realized the horror of their predicament. How could they be so hard-headed, he wondered. Just as he was climbing onto his horse, a soft voice spoke behind him. So, when is this Passover? Sheepishly asked an Ephraimite who had snuck out of the meeting. It's on the 14th day of the second month. Are you going to come? Asked the rider. I'll be there, said the Ephraimite. They sound tough in there, but we were all terrified of the Assyrians coming back. I know that the great God of Israel is my only hope. Enthused by his one success, the rider went on to the next town. There he received similar results. While most of the Israelites laughed off the call to Jerusalem, a few responded. The Israelites were only a couple of years away from complete captivity to the Assyrians. Yet most still would not humble themselves before God. Jerusalem rejoices. Finally, the 14th day of the second month arrived. Jerusalem was swarming with people eager to observe the Passover. Many Israelites from the northern tribes of Manasseh, Ephraim, Asher, Issachar, and Zebulun had come. All of the visitors were welcomed by the locals. Most of them had to be instructed how to keep the Passover and days of unleavened bread. Many who attended the festival were so inspired by the instruction from the priests that they organized teams to go destroy the pagan idols on the surrounding hills. King Ahaz had set up those idols years earlier. King Hezekiah surveyed the festivities with joy. God's holy days were once again being kept, not only by Judah, but also by a remnant of Israel. However, in their rush to participate in the festivities, some of the visitors from the northern tribes hadn't fulfilled all the requirements needed to take the Passover. When Hezekiah was told of the violation, he immediately retired to his chamber to offer a short intercessory prayer to God. Wonderful, merciful God, the king humbly prayed. Please, pardon everyone who prepared his heart to seek you, even though he might not have prepared his flesh because of his ignorance. God listened to Hezekiah's prayer and forgave the people. The festivities were able to continue. After the solemn Passover evening, the Feast of Unleavened Bread continued with the Levites instructing the people how to observe the days, just as God's church still does today. After the seven-day festival was completed, the whole assembly was sad to see it end. They had learned so much and experienced such joy at restoring proper worship that they asked to have another seven days of feasting to God. Hezekiah joyfully agreed to this request, certain that it would be pleasing to God. To feed the mass of people, Hezekiah and the priests donated thousands of sheep and bullocks. So much joy filled the city 
that the Bible records that it was the happiest time in Jerusalem since the time of Solomon centuries earlier. be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the resources tab at pcg.church.